Welcome to Returning to Oneself podcast with Mish from Transform with Mish Coaching and Emma from Be More Selfful Coaching. This podcast is for all those women out there that seem to be stuck in self-destructive cycles of behavior and habits and have no idea why. If you want to know why, you want to break free from these cycles, finally find peace in your body and who you are, then stay tuned as we help you to return to yourself. Hello and welcome to episode five. Hope you're all well, everybody. We will be talking about self-objectification today. It is another way that we leave ourselves, or another way that we leave our body. We'll be covering in this episode what self-objectification is, what are the roots of it, the consequences, and how you could start viewing your body differently so you can return to yourself. So when it comes to self-objectification, I I do feel like this is something that isn't within our awareness unless you start diving in and unless you start educating yourself about this topic and about this matter. So in order to increase your awareness and start noticing whether you do self-objectify, you can start increasing your awareness by exploring the following questions. What influences how you feel about your body? When you think about your body, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? What messages or experiences have influenced how you think about your body and other people's bodies? How do you feel about your body? Or what are the three things that you like about your body? The best way how to explore these is probably sitting down and and really taking time to tune in and pay attention to what comes up. Because you may think, oh, I I feel X, Y, Z about my body. Whilst internally, there's a very different perception of what your body says about you, or what your body means about you. And you may find that the answers to these questions will feel overwhelming or uncomfortable. And often this can show you that the way you view your body is usually biased towards self-objectification of your body. So when we say self-objectification, what it means is the experience of seeing your body from the outside, like a third person, as an object to be looked at. Therefore, we then see our body as something that can be used, manipulated, controlled, or seen for its physical properties or parts, uh, rather than seeing ourselves as this complex being that has a very unique and special core and is only carried by the external uh, shell. Mm. I wonder if we should like talk about when we, do you remember when you first started seeing your body as something to be kind of looked at? Weirdly enough, yesterday I was just thinking about my earliest memories from my childhood. That's just Mm. what I do in my free time. And I realized that I, my, my earliest memories probably don't go anywhere past like seven years old. I think my earliest memories are around seven years old. Mm. And I feel like that's pretty old for like a childhood memory. I feel like a lot of people have much earlier memory, but my, my earliest memories are related to my body. One of my earliest memories is overhearing a conversation my parents had with their friends, their friends kind of commenting on my body. And bear in mind, I am a child at that point. And they said something like, so how do you, how do you feel about Mish being a bigger child? And I think the the reason why it really stuck with me is because till that point, I never thought that mattered. I never thought, why would someone pay attention to it? 
right? I didn't really think about whether that the size of my body or either being personalized to me or or different to other children said something else about me or, or meant something else about me. I remember the conversation continued by my parents responding something along the lines of, yeah, she she's bigger than other children. Mm. And I, I do think that perhaps that kickstarted my difficult relationship with my body, but I can see a connection between that and my eating disorder within two or three years um, after that. Mm-hmm. I, I remember just at meal times, uh, you know, my parents kind of restricting the the food that I was allowed and saying, oh no, Emma, that's enough or whatever. And you know, it, it makes you feel like there's something wrong with the fact that you want to have more food or that you want to, or that your body is wrong and therefore you have to control the food. But it still has an impact, you know, it really, it really does. And as I asked you that question, I suddenly had a little freak out. I was like, God, I don't even know the answer to that question myself. Mm. I remember some very young experiences in my body, but it feels like I was just always aware of it. You know, I remember adjusting the way that I stood and the way that I walked to kind of like hunch over so that my clothes would be baggy and so that nothing would kind of cling to me. And I remember my parents were, oh, why are you walking like that? And of course, it, it was so painful and so shameful to admit as to why I was doing that. Mm. Um, I think also I, I, I was bullied in primary school. And so I think that makes you immediately more aware of, okay, like you go internal but you also look external as well as to why is this happening to me and you then compare what is the difference between me and this this girl oh my body is bigger like maybe that's the problem yeah and so there's and I think even as as a young girl you're still looking for attention from you know the boys if that's the way that things go for you I, I can't believe that I spent so much of my childhood like trying to change the way that I looked it's just yeah. it really it really hurts to think about that and how dysmorphic my view of my body was yeah I I agree and I'm glad you you brought up the the word shame because that's where everything yeah. lies it's the shame that we experience at those early experiences as children with yeah. being perceived as not the standard type of bodies and interpreting that as failing to be enough right mm-hmm. which we don't know as children but the way we understand it today is that we then continue failing meeting and internalized beauty ideals or or body ideals so when we feel like we we have failed or we are not enough because of that we we feel inadequate we even let it define who we are as a person and we start feeling as 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 bad people bad girls i was gonna say you know that exactly what you said Mish that if you that if that was your experience the definition the belief that you have about yourself is there's something fundamentally wrong with you that's what shame does shame is basically saying there is something wrong with me and if you carry that and it's underlying everything it's a huge block for any changes because you literally fundamentally well it doesn't matter what I do Mm -hmm. I will always be wrong in some way and I almost feel like what it does is kind of it triggers this a strong core belief that your being depends on your appearance as a woman so you either continue submitting to the narratives and to the standard and to the internalized cultural ideals of what you should look like or you quote unquote fail to do it uh, for whatever reason 
and potentially develop further more serious consequences of that. And so I think it's, you know, obviously we, we've explored the fact that a lot of our kind of experiences in our body have come from kind of pressures from our parents or experiences of overhearing things from our parents, or it could be any carers or, or even grandparents. I remember comments from my grandma all the time. What was it? A, a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips, you oh know, all of that gosh. stuff. It, <laughs> it triggers me so much when you say that. So I think it's, we've understood that there's definitely a huge impact of us growing up in our bodies, but also self-objectification tendencies come from being a woman in society as a whole. And, and why is it that self-objectification, the experience of viewing your body from the outside as an object is so widely experienced? It's because it's a default consequence, a psychological consequence from our bodies being sexually objectified. It doesn't matter what age, it really doesn't, in which the female body is viewed as a sexual object with sexual parts which can have sexual functions, which provides no acknowledgement of any other aspect of who she is as a person. It is so normalized and becoming even more normalized. And I think about like, even in school where there was dress codes, right? You have to cover your shoulders. You can't have your skirt, you know, above your knees or whatever. Yeah. Because apparently, even as a 10-year-old, that part of your body can be sexualized by another person. Yeah. What a way introduce women to the world is already a problem if their clothes are a certain way. I know there was a young girl who actually, I think she started a whole movement, a whole petition against, I think it was Abercrombie and Fitch, who had put padding in a bikini top for like five-year-olds wow and so she started like this whole movement to kind of get rid of of those items of clothing i mean <laughs> fucking thought of this stuff <laughs> i know like you can't see my face now but i'm like uh, my facial expression speaks for themselves <laughs> when i'm like trying to figure that out and trying to wrap my head around it but it's obviously not working <laughs> like you said it is so deeply rooted and it goes from generation to generation it's everywhere it's inevitable and even the research Mm. that there is on self-objectification says it is inevitable as we widely agree it is inevitable there's some people be like well what's wrong with sexual objectification and how does this relate to self-objectification and the consequences in the moment of being objectified we self-objectify so someone's looking at us we come out of ourselves and we start to look at ourselves in that same way that we believe that that person is looking at us and for some this just becomes a day-to-day default of living even if we're not in public so even if we are at home alone we still self-objectify and it is not vanity it isn't it's a way of coping it's a way of checking it's a way to make sure we are protected from what another person could see make sure we are protected from what could happen if we are viewed from the outside then what the consequences are of being viewed and how we're treated by others from what they see and every time we self-objectify it is in the hope that we can somehow brace ourselves for a potential battle our body against the world our body against the eyes of others our body against the words and actions of others but also it is there to try and ensure the possibility 
at the same time of getting external validation, because this is also a way that we feel safe. So it's like we have to put ourselves out as being vulnerable and it's the possibility of being attacked, but also because we really want external validation, because we want to be told we are beautiful and we are acceptable. It's like a double-edged sword. You just can't escape it. Oh, of course. And it's so much deeper than the compliments. It's not just about the compliments. No. Right? It's about uh, being seen, yeah. being seen and being wanted. And that's a very, very strong need. And when you receive that, when you prove yourself worthy enough of receiving that validation, it's like the need you had as a child that wasn't met is being met through that every single time. But this is where it goes wild every single time you receive a like on your picture every single time someone comments you look great or you've lost weight or you know you look different like better it goes so far the the source of that validation the Mm. source of meeting that need this is why it's so difficult to be aware of it in the first place and then to realize what's actually going on and this is why it's so powerful and why we feel like we can't escape it and why we almost feel like we're addicted to it because it feels so good in a moment but mm. just like any other addiction the feeling goes away super quickly so you want yeah. more and you want it again and when you don't receive it you will feel like there's something wrong with me once again and I have to go to these all extends to prove myself or to continue proving myself to whoever so this is where it's really tricky because every time we find ourselves coping through this by self-objectifying we enter into the state of surveying our body we body check basically in order to protect ourselves this is way of controlling this is way of being in control of what's going to happen if i check how i look i can fix some when i can fix something i will i'm more like Likely to have a positive reinforcement or, or feedback so we try to regain some control over what is happening to us externally which is so smart but at the same time we can't do it because we don't have control over anything else apart from ourselves so this then leads us into the state where we see ourselves as objects and where we forget to see ourselves as a whole functioning human and so coping this way leads us to abandoning our whole and true self and it means that we leave our body and forget that it is more than just what can be measured from the outside or judged even from the outside we suppress and we oppress ourselves in in response to being oppressed by others And also I wanted to, I I remember having a conversation with a client and we were talking about self-objectification and how we go out hoping for this external validation. But she also said, well, my problem is, is that I go out and I don't receive it. And that's makes me feel like there's something wrong with me as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's part of us that knows that actually we don't really want to receive it. You know, when you're, when you have like, if you're cat called or mm-hmm. someone compliments you and it might makes you feel slightly uncomfortable mm-hmm. as it should, mm-hmm. but also there's a certain level of like, Ooh, mm-hmm. getting attention. So, and this is why it's, again, it's like another double-edged sword. Like you don't want it, but you do want it. But right. then when you don't receive any of it, you also make yourself feel like that's there's something wrong with you. So it doesn't matter what happens. Like every single time there is any self-objectification and objectification from others, 
it can be really damaging whether it's there or it's not. I thought this was very well explained by the objectification theory. Mm. The objectification theory looks at the consequences of uh, self-objectification and self-objectification, and it addresses how it leads to a lot of mental health issues, mainly anxiety and depression in women. And according to the theory, the anxiety is triggered by self-objectification, but that is generated from two primary sources, which is appearance anxiety and safety anxiety. And that is exactly what you just described. It's the it's the need for the validation, which is the appearance anxiety. I, I'm thinking, am I going to gain the validation today? Am I going to be complimented when I look X, Y, Z? But then when I walk on the street and I do look X, Y, Z and I'm cut cold, I feel safety anxiety. I feel mm. unsafe because I don't know what that means for me and what could happen. In consequence of that. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's follow on from that and let's think about what the wider consequences of self-objectification is on ourselves. And again, bearing in mind that the self-objectification is not ever really free from the sexual objectification experience. So the obvious ones that all of us know are poor body image. Women tend to experience loads of body shame, constant body monitoring. This was actually interesting. We put a poll on our Instagram to ask you how many times a day do you check your body and check yourself in a mirror? And the results were quite united and the, the numbers were quite high. A lot of you answered that the average times that you check your body on a daily basis is between five and 20 times a day. That's a lot mm. of time spent. A lot of energy. A lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of capacity, emotional capacity, checking yourself uh, in a mirror, checking your body, judging, analyzing, criticizing parts of your external appearance. So that is one of the consequences of self-objectification. Other ones are appearance anxiety, which we've already talked about, lack of ability to notice and connect to internal body cues, such as hunger or fullness or tiredness or emotions, uh, being able to honor how you feel, being able to tune into your body. There is also a reduced ability to spend time and energy on activities and life events that might make you feel good. And instead, your headspace is redistributed to spending time, energy and money trying to manipulate and change your outer shell because you are told to believe or you've been taught to believe that it is in your power and responsibility to change it. And if it gets to the point where it really defines who you are and the value of you as a woman, then of course, everything is going to revolve around that. Absolutely. And I remember reading this quote from Naomi Wolf and she says, it's all about kind of how many years of our life have we, have we spent collectively as women trying to change the outside of our body. And so this is the quote a culture fixated on female thinness is not an obsession about female beauty but an obsession about female obedience dieting is the most potent political sedative in women's history a quietly mad population is a tractable one i remember when i read that and i was felt like i was hit by a ton of bricks because not only for myself did I feel so sad but I just got I felt so angry that I feel like I've been tricked Mm. all these women are being tricked Mm. like I was just 
And I was like, fuck, that's so clever, but also disgustingly clever. It's extremely eye-opening. And as I've been doing more research on this recently, I've been <laughs> I've been noticing really intense waves of anger and yeah. really seeing this issue everywhere. And it's really triggering at first because it honestly forces you, you know, dig deep and ask yourself, like, how many times have you been a victim of this or how often you are? are a victim of this and it forces you to start being honest with yourself and having to go against the i don't even know how to describe it the world the status quo yeah almost like the blueprint of mm. who we should be it definitely brings up a lot of emotions for me yeah and I feel like actually what drives my anger is also the fact that you now know where to put your anger. You don't have to put it onto your body anymore. It will happen at times. I mean, as we said, it's a bit of an ingrained generational blueprint on how to feel about our bodies, but at least we have somewhere else to direct it now. And what's so amazing is that when we direct it elsewhere, when we direct it not onto our body and onto society, it not only helps us, it helps women as a whole. And so we think oh well it's it's obviously it creates a better experience in our bodies for ourselves but that also can be a domino effect and that is what I feel like is so powerful and when we start to understand that all of this has left our experience of our self-worth and value so highly invested on this external body and what others think of them and there's all these consequences that leave women to be as you said a higher risk of developing depression sexual dysfunction and it's also high risk of eating disorders and it's also associated with being more likely to have cosmetic surgery and reduced cognitive ability they also did a study on how even in primary school in a, in a maths test that young women were still spending energy and time even in the middle of an exam on self-objectification and you know you also experience lower self-esteem greater self-harming behavior and hostility against other women and oh, if yeah. that is not a reason to start changing that for yourself and also letting that be the domino effect on the experience of other women as well. I mean, what a great cause we can actually try to work towards just through working on ourselves. That is where it really baffles me, how it's so ingrained into us that we use it against each other as women. Actually, yeah. my, my client, I think I had a call with her this, this Wednesday. She was telling me how a colleague of hers, a female colleague of hers, complimented her. But the, the compliment was pretty much, was very backhanded because she says something along the lines of, oh, you are dressed up today. It makes a difference. And yeah, I was to like, what? And I was like, okay, did you take it as a compliment? And she was like, oh, no, I heard the criticism first. And I was like, well, because it wasn't a compliment. It was a backhanded compliment, which means yeah. that someone says something positive about you followed by something negative about you, implying that uh, had you not looked like that, it wouldn't, it would have been a poor decision for you or it would have changed how you are perceived on the outside and that came from a woman to another woman and that's just one of many many examples yeah and I think it's such a it's such a confusing experience because there are these as you said there is that hostility against women because we are literally pitched against each other there is a pecking order we go out into the world we look am I bigger smaller prettier uh uglier than this person okay how do I compare to that person how do I compare? I mean ugh constant right but then we also had this collective like experience of dissatisfaction 
in our bodies. Oh, I hate my thighs. Oh, I hate my thighs too. Oh, my nose is so big. Oh, my nose is so big too. And so there's like this connection between women through this dissatisfaction, but also Mm. we are hostile against other women as well because we are less than better than blah 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 blah, compared to them it's just alienating us against other women and this kind of false collective experience and this is one way that we connect like we should not be connecting on our collective dissatisfaction in our bodies Mm. like can we please stop spending time on this 100 percent. and i think most of the times women don't realize they don't do no no why why would we i work in a studio uh, for women only where we where I coach strength training and the amount of times women comment on their bodies there in a negative uh, way and they don't realize it they're not they're not even realizing it's happening but it happens every single time on there someone says something about their bodies that isn't positive and isn't loving and isn't accepting and it, it just shows how much of a habit this is for us and mm. this is not me telling people off because in order for me I used to be exactly the same and in order for me to let go of that I had to do a a lot of conscious work and put a lot of effort into noticing every time I said something like that against myself and and stop and and call myself out on that and let myself change the perspective of how I saw my body so it's such a habit because it's so normalized and because we all do it but it doesn't mean that it's okay to do it and I hope like one thing that you guys can take away from this episode is that by reducing the amount that you self-objectify you're not only improving your experience of life but you are also paving the way for others further down the generation those around you your loved ones they also have the opportunity to follow in in your footsteps and to experience more of what you're experiencing and you get to educate them as well and so it's almost that the power not only comes from reducing this for yourself but also for the, the wider the wider population of women So because it has become so normalized to be so discontent in our body, it is therefore our universal experience, which we think makes us not feel alone. But in fact, it just continues to suppress all women. And despite not feeling alone in our struggles, the opposite goes on at the same time, where we see other women as competition, as objects, as parts of bodies that we ourselves want or don't want. And it fuels our prejudice and biases against bodies that don't fit into the ideal. So these prejudices and biases are, for example, racism, fatphobia, ageism as well as sexism and violence against women these are much much wider consequences of self-objectification in women as a whole it's this is why it's a big problem and a universal experience not just you you yourself individually struggle with this which is why it's so influential in a wider scale as well absolutely and this continues to fuel the belief that the most valuable thing about a woman any woman is her body and we need to start being women who no longer see our most valuable attribute as our body or other women's bodies so i want you to think of what else you could do or achieve if you got back that headspace that five to twenty times a day that you check your body you monitor you adjust you fix that time and energy what could you do if you got that back and all that time and energy that you currently put into self-objectification what would you do with it but if you were to get all those years back of dieting trying to fix your body change it how could things change for you if you no longer held yourself back in life due to this very deep belief 
that your body needs to be a certain way first? Like, how would you live life differently? If your body was no longer a barrier, like, what would you be doing? Mm. How would you be living your life? I think it would be much more wholesome and fulfilling, contentment-bringing life experience. It would be something that you could look back at in 50 years and say, I actually experienced life because I didn't let how I looked or how I was supposed to look stop me from living stop me from experiencing experiencing love experiencing memories with my children experiencing freedom in what I wear what I do how I feel and I feel like that is something that you want to take a moment on and and really just let it sink in I actually feel like bravery comes up for me like Mm. I feel like I feel like I would have been a bit more brave. Mm. Brave to say yes to opportunities. Yeah, definitely. And I also think that just being able to embrace who you are, like we said, often is about suppression. Suppression of who we are scared to be because of how we come across as and because of how we are seen. I wonder what the world would have been like. Say if like a generation ago, there was a collective movement against all of this. I feel like society would be so much more advanced. And again, it's not about women against men. It's what the brain power, energy, time, ability of women could have brought, can bring, if there wasn't all that time spent on trying to make ourselves smaller. It takes my breath away to think about what could be. So I guess what's left for us is shifting our focus to what is in our control. Because now we know that essentially this is inevitable and it impacts every single one of us. And it's so deeply rooted that (laughs) we really have to look inwards and, and see what we can do for ourselves rather than trying to change the world. Because that is where change starts. That is where worldwide change starts with each and one of us. And so there are a couple of things you can do for yourself. First of all, it starts with self-reflection. So really sitting with the points that we've made today, asking yourselves those important questions and being honest with yourself. And that can be difficult, but being honest with yourself about your experience with self-objectification, your experience with sexual objectification, your experience with you attacking yourself, being attacked by another woman, attacking another woman, potentially, this is where the honesty really is difficult to reach. But with more self-reflection, more self-awareness happens. And in more awareness, you can find change. And that is the very first step towards change. The next thing, once you gain more awareness, is self-compassion. And this is a whole another step to access and you really want to take this one step at a time but when we talk about self-compassion in this sense is the way you respond to yourself when you start noticing the way you talk to yourself when you start noticing the 15th time you looked into the mirror today when you start noticing uh, calling yourself names not allowing yourself to experience events and memories with your friends and family and and partners it's the way you respond to yourself at those times rather than giving yourself a hard time for it and being angry at yourself, redirect the anger at the world and respond to yourself with love and and 
compassion and kindness and acceptance. Talk to yourself like you would talk to your best friend if they told you what they're experiencing. You would never reject them in that way. So why do we do that to ourselves in the hardest moments of our lives where we're really just coping, trying to cope with something so triggering and threatening to us and our system in order to meet our needs? That's a very deeply rooted habit that self-compassion can help you with. The last thing that you can do for yourself when you increase your awareness and when you learn how to be more compassionate is start reconnecting with yourself. Start reconnecting with who you truly are, your true self, rather than just your body. See yourself as for what you are capable of doing rather than just how you are looking. See yourself as your all unique uh, characteristics, your values as a human being rather than just your body. Self-reconnection happens over time. And it's something that we're really not taught. And I wish we were taught as, as young girls. You can find self-reconnection in every single episode of our podcast where we talk about how to stop abandoning yourself and how to start returning to yourself. There is also a great kind of affirmation that you can use when you start noticing that you're objectifying. You say it with compassion. The last thing we need to do is start judging ourselves. Oh my God, why am I looking at myself again like this? No, it's actually time to be like, oh, wow, I'm doing that. I'm self-objectifying again. Okay, let me come back into my body. And one affirmation is by Lindsay and Lexi Kite, who whose book is is amazing. And it's really a really good book if you want to learn about self-objectification, which is it's just called More Than a Body. And they use the affirmation of my body is an instrument, not an ornament. And that's a really good one like to come back to yeah. when you notice that you're looking at yourself from the outside. And again, you get to kind of laugh at it a little bit. That's what I do. I'm like, oh my God, Emma, for goodness sake, like come back into your body now. Like stop checking, mm. stop doing this, stop doing that. You're fine. And just kind of give, giving yourself that reassurance. Another big thing that I've really started to call myself out on is how I go out into the world, how I go out and how I see other women. So before I might have gone out and looked at women, okay, well, I like her hair and like it's longer than mine. And oh, I like her body. Constantly objectifying her as different parts compared to my different parts. I now try and see a woman as a whole and not just women, people, people as a whole for their aura, their energy, their personality, how they move, how they talk, just seeing them as a whole because if you are going out objectifying others all you're doing is objectifying yourself so it also needs to start with the way that you also see other people as well as how you're starting to see yourself and I think the other thing is to create a protective environment of what you are looking at social media unless you're not on social media is very hard to avoid but protect your space protect your body if there's anything that makes you feel like you are that you need to fix or hide or change your body or compare it or makes you just feel shit then unfollow it block it remove it you need to protect your body enough and care for your body enough that you want to remove anything that could harm it that is a way that you can show yourself respect for your body and start to see your body as a whole rather than just 
an object. And I really love the my my body is an instrument, not an ornament. And it I think when you keep it at the front of your mind, it can help you with navigating through social media as well. Because if you think about it, you are really just looking at ornaments. You are looking at edited ornaments and angled ornaments. And so that can help you with moving towards different perspective of how you see what you see on social media and knowing that you don't have the whole picture. Make a decision what you want to be seeing on your feed. And the last thing I want to say is to remember that your experience of your body, your care, your respect, your gratitude for your body as an instrument does not need you or require you to like the way that your body looks. It doesn't matter. If you don't like the way your body looks, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that you should not treat your body with respect, that you should not care for it, that you should not, not look after it. It's it's just completely separate. Your body image is very different to your ability to embody your body and be in your body. So we would love to hear your experiences with self-objectification. We would love to have you share with us your earliest memories of this issue and how has that been showing up for you ever since. If you want to share that with us, feel free to send us a DM on Instagram at returning to oneself or send us an email to returning to oneself at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week for our next episode. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Instagram at returning to oneself, where you can receive updates on our next episode release dates, topics, and where you can engage with us too. We would love for you to tag us if you found this episode resonated. Remember, you have and always will deserve to return to oneself.